0: Well, if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. On the occasions that we speak on forgiveness, I know that every single one of us has come to places in our life where this may be the most challenging aspect of our being. I know that this is a real need in every person when you really discuss the matters of forgiveness because all of us have been hurt Some of us have been deeply wounded by others. Maybe it was a family member, a spouse, maybe an ex-spouse. Perhaps it was someone at school. Maybe it was someone at work. Maybe it was a total stranger. Some of the deepest pains in our life have been created sometimes in the case of a period of years. And others, it was almost as if it was just one evil action that took place, completely unexpected. But it has created tremendous amounts of hurt. And even when I even speak of this subject, I'm sure that there is some situation, some person or people that have come to your mind. And even now, your stomach just may even be starting to turn when you even hear the word forgiveness. And last week, when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, remember Jesus gave us this pattern for prayer. But he followed it up and said these words, you find it in verses 14 and 15, that probably made you just kind of pause and go, wait a second, how is this even possible? Because Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Jesus said if you want to experience forgiveness, you've got to extend forgiveness. Now, you're like, wait a second. What, what does that mean? Does that mean that if I'm really going to be forgiven by God to actually have salvation, that I've got to start forgiving others? Well, just like we talked about last week, the forgiveness he's talking about here is Family forgiveness. This isn't the forensic forgiveness of justification by faith. This isn't speaking of the salvation that we have when we put our faith and trust in Christ. Once you do that, you turn from your sin and you're trusting in Jesus Christ, you experience eternal forgiveness, eternal life. It never ends. And it's all of God. It's all of grace. You don't earn it. You can't keep it on on your own merit. What he's talking about here is the family forgiveness forgiveness. That when there is a breakdown in fellowship, he says, you want to forgive. And this tells us something. If we harbor unforgiveness in our life, if we will not forgive the people that have really hurt us, it's going to create some breakdown in our fellowship with God. And that's what he's addressing here. Now, I think we'd all agree with like C.S. Lewis when he said, now we all agree that forgiveness is wonderful, and beautiful, except until we have to practice ourselves, right? We all think that forgiveness is wonderful. What a beautiful concept. Ah, oh, awesome. Perhaps the most lovely concept there is until we have to practice it ourselves. Now, don't be surprised that you need to forgive someone and that you need to be forgiven because, after all, we are fallen people, right? We live in a failing world. Even as Christians, there is a, enough of the residual fallenness and self-centeredness in our life to break up a marriage, to destroy a family, to blow up a church, to wreck a business or a team. It exists within each one of us. And in fact, some of us have experienced some of these things and created a tremendous amount of hurt hurt us at a, at a core level, perhaps in ways that we've ever ever thought we'd imagine. And it's taken us to levels where maybe we've even despaired of even life itself. I want you to know that when you're hurt deeply, it affects you physically, emotionally, socially, relationally, can be financially. I mean, some of the hurt that has taken place in the hearts of people in this room are so deep-seated it has become like the defining feature of their lives. I think many of you are familiar with a woman by the name of Cynthia Swindoll. She is the wife of Chuck Swindoll, a very famous pastor here in Texas. In about 2005, Cynthia Swindoll went public with the deep-seated depression that she had been going through for years and had recovered from, but only when she first learned how to forgive. In fact, she traced her depression and all of the angst and the breakdown in family relationships to a lack of forgiveness on her part. Before you're like, oh man, she should have just quick forgiven all these people. I think you have to understand just how deep the hurt went. This is what she said when she actually presented this said, quote, you know, my dad had tried to kill my mom by choking her and had only released his hands when she passed out. I had to forgive him of that. He had asked my mom for a divorce when she was dying of cancer. I had to forgive him of that. My dad had a terrible temper, and he had unmercifully beaten my sister and me when we were growing up. The horrors of those beatings would never leave my memory. I had to forgive him of that. And she went on to talk about the different people that she needed to forgive and how she went about that. And how is that even possible? How is it possible to forgive the people that have hurt us so very deeply? I know for me personally, I've had to really wrestle with these issues. Issues of forgiveness, deep hurt. I think all of us, if we're taking our life seriously, we have come face to face with the need to forgive some very deep hurt. Now, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is simply this. It's the loving, voluntary cancellation of a debt. You know, it's like if a bank should forgive you of your loan, you no longer responsible for paying that back. So in our relationships, if we are going to express and experience forgiveness, we, we voluntary, we just release from a debt. But when it comes to forgiveness, we really, we don't want forgiveness. We want what? We want revenge. We want that person or that group of people to know just how bad you have hurt me what you've done, how you've inflicted damage and the evil that you have caused, we oftentimes really don't want forgiveness. We want them to suffer like we've been suffering. Now, you need to understand that forgiveness, expressing it, extending it, receiving it, it is the normal part of healthy relationships. If you don't on a somewhat regular basis say, I am sorry for hurting you in this way, Or express not only your need for forgiveness, but actually extending forgiveness and saying, you know what, I I want you to know I forgive you. If that isn't a part of your regular repertoire of conversations that you have, then something's desperately missing in your relationships. It might explain why you're living in a Cold War zone with so many people. Asking for forgiveness Extending forgiveness, it's a regular part. Just yesterday, one of my family members, I had to ask for forgiveness of something. Those things happen. That's life. But God has given us a means of overcoming and growing through our experiences so that we aren't hamstrung forever by wrongdoing that we might express or extend to others. And you will see that the hallmark of a good marriage or all healthy relationships is the expressing and the extending of forgiveness. In fact, you'll find this, that the closer you are to people, the more opportunities you're going to have to ask for forgiveness and to give it. Isn't that right? That's how it works. But what about the deep, deep issues of hurt? Significant pain that has been inflicted upon you. How is it possible to forgive the people who have deeply hurt you? What we really need is a very robust theology of forgiveness. I want you to have this. What does forgiveness really look like from the heart? And we're going to spend the rest of our time in the final book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 50. If you want to just turn to the, I mean, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 50, take a look at the final chapter. We're going to pick it up in verse 15. I want you to take a life lesson, several of them, from Joseph. Now, if you've read the last half of the book of Genesis, you know that Joseph features very prominently. And here is a man who experienced tremendous pain and hurt in his life. If you're not familiar with Joseph, let me just recount some of the salient features. As a young man, he went and found his brothers. Uh, They were all kind of watching and herding sheep out there in the middle of the desert. He found them. His brothers had a kind of a long pattern of resenting him. And it's possible that Dad had even played favorites with Joseph, which only heated it up. And, you know, they'd pretty much had enough, and he comes waltzing in, you know, from from home through the desert. He's got his multicolored coat on that Dad had given him. They're all in their drab stuff, and they're like, you know what, let's just be rid of him, and let's throw him in a pit. And they did, with the idea that he'd just die, and they'd make up a little story that... Oh, poor Joseph, <laughs> he got eaten by some animals, you know. This is what's left of his coat, you know, that sort of deal. But then, you know, these, these brothers, they may not have been uh, nice, but they were clever. Like, you know, wait, wait a second here. Why just leave him in a pit to die when we can make money off of him? Let's sell him into slavery. How about we do that? And then we'll actually make some money off this. We can still keep up the charade and all that sort of bit. And so they did. Can you imagine? Like, your own family members selling you into slavery. And so they did. And so he gets hauled off to Egypt. And once he gets to Egypt, he gets sold to a guy by the name of Potiphar, who had a lot of influence in, in Egypt. And, you know, God was gracious and merciful even in slavery. And And Joseph basically ran the estate for Potiphar. But uh, Potiphar had a wife who continually solicited Joseph and finally accused him of rape. And here's Joseph, who had been sold into slavery. He was now taken to prison. And he kind of is languishing there in prison. But uh, through a series of amazing events and interpreting of dreams, Joseph actually interprets a dream of Pharaoh's and becomes the number two guy in the empire. Dreams about a great seven years of plenty as far as harvest, followed by seven years of famine. And God gave Joseph wisdom, and Joseph told Pharaoh, this is the only way you will be able to survive this, is if you start storing it up. And Pharaoh made Joseph the number two guy in the Egyptian empire. And so that's where you find in Genesis chapter 50, you find where Joseph has been involved in bringing his brothers and his father, Jacob, into Egypt. He took care of them. They lived in the best of the land. They survived this massive famine that affected all of the Egyptian empire and all the surrounding areas. God had used Joseph significantly. Joseph provided for his family. But Jacob finally dies. They have this massive funeral procession. They go to the promised land up back in Israel. They bury their father, and they've made their way back to Egypt. And all of a sudden now, the brothers, all the other brothers that had done such great evil to Joseph, they are really scared that Joseph is now going to take vengeance on them now that dad has died. And so here we are. We're back at making stories again. Look at verse 15 in chapter 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrongs which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said to him, Behold, we are your servants. Indeed, they had done tremendous evil. To Joseph, but there's no record that Jacob had ever spoke to the brothers and said, "Hey, you need to go and tell Joseph this." In fact, that wouldn't even make any sense. If Jacob, jo- Jacob wanted to relay that message to Joseph, you know what he'd have done? He would have told him himself, right? Hey, listen, I know your brothers are flat out evil, and what they did was wrong. I need you to forgive them, okay? He would have done that. There's no record of that. You see, they felt like, wow, we need to make up a story that Dad said this. Because otherwise, maybe Joseph is really going to take, us, take it out on us now that dad is dead. You see, they're behaving this way because they have a guilty conscience. And they themselves, it didn't even conceive in their mind that it's possible to forgive such horrendous evil. Do you know why they think this way? Because they're projecting how they would have handled the situation upon Joseph. There's no way that they would have been able to forgive, so they're thinking there's no way that Joseph could ever forgive, and so they have this story. And they're they're doing it all right. In fact, you see that in verse 18, where they're actually they're down on the ground. You know, behold, we're your slaves. They're all bowing down before Joseph. That, by the way, is a fulfillment of a dream that Joseph had, had years ago. You find it in Genesis chapter 37, verses six and seven where his brothers would do just this. They had actually prostrated themselves before Joseph before, but they didn't actually recognize him. They just thought, wow, this is the number two guy in the Egyptian empire. They didn't recognize their grown-up brother. But here they know who he is, and they're bowing down. And what happens next reveals the essential life lessons in the art of forgiveness. Friends, if you will take this to heart, it will change your lives and it'll change your relationships. The first life lesson in the art of forgiveness is that you need to leave your pain with God. Look at verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? You need to leave your pain with God. And Joseph's pain was very real. For 22 years, you know, sold into slavery, a servant, prison, separated from his family, especially his dad. 22 years. You might even say it was the best years of his life. And yet, do you see how he responded? He said, Joseph said, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? You see, you recognize I have to leave this all with God, especially the deep pain in your lives. Philip Yancey wrote in the final analysis, Forgiveness is an act of faith. By forgiving another, I am trusting that God is a better justice maker than I am. By forgiving, I release my own right to get even and leave all issues of fairness for God to work out. I leave in God's hands the scales that must balance justice and mercy. More like Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans, he writes in Romans chapter 12, verses 18 and 19, If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but rather leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord." The first lesson in the great art of forgiveness is that you have to leave your pain with God. It has been said, we are never more like God than when we forgive. We are never really more like God than when we forgive. And the only way that we'll ever experience healing and health Peace and joy is if we come to a place where we can forgive and we leave our pain with God. Let me give you another great life lesson in the art of forgiveness that we learned from Joseph. Not only do we need to leave our pain with God, but we need to look to God for power, perspective, and peace. Look what Joseph says in verse 20. As for you, you meant evil, Against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Joseph spoke clearly of what had taken place. You, you meant it for evil. He didn't brush it aside. He didn't like, well, we're just going to put it underneath the rug. We're not, I'll blow it off. It doesn't matter. It's all let bygones be like bygones. We like bygones. No. You you meant this for evil. You inflicted this kind of pain in my life. And not only did Joseph experience it, but they had lied to their, to their father who lived for years with this deep-seated pain and resentment. And you see, they needed to hear from Joseph that you actually are the one who inflicted this evil. But notice, notice the depth that Joseph has in his relationship with God. He says, "For you you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. But God he actually meant it for good." You know, time and forgiveness has a way of bringing perspective. Now, it didn't happen automatically, but, you know, when Joseph reflected upon upon his life, he could see that, you know, being sold into slavery and ending up at Potiphar's place, he learned so much about management, about business, about how to work with people, how to get things done through delegation. You know, Joseph learned, you know, like when he was in prison, he would have never, in his wildest imagination, wanted to be a slave, go to prison, but it was actually in prison and only in prison, that through the interpretation of these dreams, he actually ended up in Pharaoh's court and interpreted Pharaoh's dream. Joseph would say, listen, I would never want my life to be like that. I would have never written that kind of script, go through that kind of pain. But I can see how God has used it. You see, clearly, God is able to transform the wickedness of others and their evil actions, and he can transform it for good. And I don't want you to miss that. But actually, Joseph is saying more than that. It's more than, well, God can take the evil things and he can kind of somehow work it out for good because that's just the nature of God. He is saying more than that. He is saying that it's from the beginning that it was God who sent Joseph there. Do You see that in verse 20? in order to bring about this present result. And this isn't the first time that Joseph actually speaks of the depth of God's sovereignty and how he sees God's sovereignty working out in his painful life. Do you remember when he revealed himself to his brothers? You see this in Genesis chapter 45, verse 5. He said this, Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Because they're just like, you know, kind of unraveling in front of him. Listen to what he said. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Or just a couple verses later in verse 45, verse 7, he said this. God sent me before you to preserve you for you, a remnant in the earth, and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. I mean, Joseph may have had some understanding. His brothers were probably just like, wait a second. But it's likely when Joseph interjects the reality of God in their relationship and in forgiveness and in the events that they're experiencing that they could come to a place where they could receive forgiveness and even forgive themselves. But friends, what is so critically important if we're really going to experience forgiveness, if we're really going to express it, we have to come to understand the nature of God. And this is where deep theology meets the reality of our lives, and we grow and we go forward by faith. You know, this is perhaps the classic statement on God's sovereignty in the midst of human affairs. You meant it for evil, and that's what it was. Human level, but vertical, but God, but God meant it for good. That's a profound statement. And we don't say it lightly, and we don't read it and just like kind of glance, gloss over it. We've all probably experienced some evil, and that's what it was. But God, he means it for good. Do you know that ministry comes out of pain and brokenness? We oftentimes think that, well, all of our ministry comes through all of our success and comes through the good things that we've done and all the, you know, effective ways that we can really work with people. But, and that's true. But actually, perhaps some of your most profound ministry comes out of brokenness. Brokenness in your marriage, your relationships, perhaps even in your walk with God. Brokenness when it comes to a friendship, or your finances, or your health. Ministry comes out of pain and brokenness. You know, when you, you break your arm, you know, that bone is broken, do you know that when it's actually being repaired, it actually is stronger for a while than it was before it was broken? And that's what God does. When we truly come to Him, when we take our pain to Him, when we look to God for His power and perspective and peace, God takes the brokenness and the deep wound and He brings healing, He brings strength. So that we will be in a position to minister to others. Our heart is expanded. Our understanding of the depth of pain in people's lives. We become sympathetic. We actually care. We have traveled a journey and we're able to enter into the lives of other people. And you know, it's like this guy in our church who, um, one time, he was telling me about some of the deep, painful issues in his life. And he's grown tremendously in his relationship with the Lord. But he made this statement. He said, I've learned through prayer, there's nothing I can't forgive. Friends, that's a man who's experiencing the power of God in his life. Johnny Erickson Tata, you're familiar with her, the, the woman who has ministered to so many. You know, as a young teenage girl, she's paralyzed in a diving accident. Johnny Erickson Tata gave us this quote. God permits what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. God permits what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. And the preeminent example of that is God himself, who has Jesus come, lives a perfect life, and is beaten, whipped, crucified on our behalf. And we think of the physical horror of all of it, and make no mistake about it, it was horrific. But to bear our sins in his body on the cross, why, that is a weight that is beyond comprehension. And yet, by virtue of that death and his resurrection, you and I have forgiveness and life with God. You see, God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. So friends, if we're going to really experience health and healing, joy and peace, we need to learn these life lessons. Leave your pain with God. Look to God for power, perspective, and peace. And let me give you one final lesson on the art of forgiveness. Live and forgive in the love and faith God gives. Look at verse 21. He says, So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Forgiveness is real when hate is replaced with love. And do you see that? He spoke kindly to them. It literally says in the Hebrew, he spoke to their hearts. Do you see Joseph? How powerful is this? He understands that God had all of these events happen in his life so that he could keep many people alive. You know that great covenant promise that God made to their great-grandfather, Abraham? That became a reality and continued through because of the evil that was inflicted upon Joseph, and yet God worked through it and in it. And you see that Joseph is able to do this, to live and forgive because of the love and the faith that he's been receiving from God. Friends, that is the only way we will ever be able to forgive, is if we are living in the love and faith that God gives. You see, when you really think about it as a Christian, we don't want people to perish. We don't want people to suffer. What do we want? We want all of us clinging to the cross of Christ because we all need forgiveness, right? Yeah, some people hurt you. They hurt me. But haven't you dished it out yourself? Haven't you been ones that have caused pain in people's lives? Friends, when you see life clearly, we're all sinners and we need a Savior. If you don't think that you need a Savior, you're not paying attention and you're not living in reality. Because the reality is that we all sin. We offend God. We don't act in holiness. And we have plenty of track record on this life of people we have trampled and hurt. We need grace and forgiveness, and God provides that. You know, I also need you to understand that forgiveness isn't based on emotion. It's an act of your will. It's a choice. And friends, we're going to need to make the decision. Don't wait for the emotion. You're going to be waiting a long time. It probably isn't going to happen. You've got to make a choice. Joseph had made such a choice. Real forgiveness requires faith, and God gives the faith to forgive. And isn't that what we want? Don't you desire forgiveness? Forgiveness from God? Absolutely. That's why you place your faith in Christ. You are drawn. You're compelled. But don't you want to experience forgiveness in your relationships? Ernest Hemingway Wrote a short story about a dad and a son. They weren't getting along. In fact, it was worse than that. Paco, the son, he was a terror. He made life miserable, um, broke all relationship with his dad, and left. Made himself scarce, hard to find. And Paco's dad searched for him, couldn't find him. Finally, he made a last ditch attempt effort in Madrid. He went to a local newspaper there and he just put this ad in. It says Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. Well, the next day, Dad is there at the newspaper office and there's not one Paco. There were 800 Pacos, all seeking and needing the love and the forgiveness of their father. Now, when we talk about forgiveness, what if the person that you are seeking to forgive isn't repentant? Or they're indifferent. They could care less, or maybe they don't even know how they've hurt you. What should you do? You should go ahead and forgive anyway. Do you remember what Jesus said right after the Lord's Prayer? He said this, for if you forgive others of their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. We need to come to a place where we're willing to forgive. Now, please remember that uh, you expressing and extending forgiveness, it may not heal the relationship. You may find that you're not even able to actually forgive the person in person maybe they've dis- they passed away they're deceased or maybe they're not interested in reconciling frankly they could still be on the war path trying to make your life miserable slander you tear you up sends all sort of evil greetings your way they, they might be like that they are people that are living in kind of perpetual states of evil and they express it and they vomit all over people what should you do Just go ahead and forgive anyway. We need to realize also this, that you can't wait for the person that hurt you to make the first move. And I get this. (laughs) We're like, you hurt me. I'm waiting. You need to show up, and then we'll do this forgiveness deal. But you might be waiting a long time. They may never show up. What you need to do is follow the pattern of God himself like uh, it says in Romans five, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like it says in Colossians three, you know, forgive as you have been forgiven. God takes the initiative with us; He is prompting in your heart to take the initiative to forgive. Now remember this: the deeper the pain, the longer the process of forgiveness. The deeper the pain, the longer the process of forgiveness. In an article called The High Cost of Unforgiveness, Linda Hunter tells the story of a woman struggling through a divorce. Listen to what she wrote. After my husband left, I rehearsed every detail of all he had done to break up our marriage. I could recount times, places, and details, and I did. But as I tried to move on, no matter what successes and new directions I found, I felt I was tethered to a stake from the past. I pulled to try to loosen its hold, all the while grasping onto the continuing fronts from my husband. While the past and present feelings restrained me, they did nothing to hold my husband back. It finally dawned on me. I had to forgive, let go. It didn't happen in a day or a week or even a year. Instead, it's still happening every day as I make the decision to forgive. I realized that though the cost of forgiveness was high, the cost of unforgiveness for both me and my children was higher, and exacted an even greater toll. I chose to forgive. Friends, forgiveness is seldom a one-time affair. Hurt and pain and bitterness—it goes deep. Just when you think, like oh, you know, I've forgiven them, and you have, and you're doing all right, and then something else triggers in your mind, right? And all of a sudden, your blood pressure rises. All of a sudden, that, just that feeling comes back. You just keep coming back to forgiveness. I have forgiven. I'm walking in the grace and the strength in Christ, and I'm trusting him. But it is a choice, and God can give the faith to forgive. Remember when there was an assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan? I think many of you will recall this, 1981. John Hinckley Jr., tried to end the president's life. The whole world watched this. People were praying. The president's life was was just holding on by a margin very, very thin. One person in particular that was watching all of this was Reagan's daughter, Patty Davis. And she, in an interview, spoke of this. Listen to this. She said, the following day, my father said to me, he knew that his physical healing was directly dependent on his ability to forgive John Hinckley. By showing me that forgiveness is the key to everything, including physical health and healing, he gave for me an example of Christ-like thinking. Friends, forgiveness isn't just like bearing the hatchet but leaving the handle up above the ground so you can grab it, like whenever you're like, oh, you know, you hurt me again. There it is, and you're you're back at war. It's, It's not like that. And also, you need to understand that this doesn't mean that you're going to put yourself or your kids in harm's way. You've got to exercise discernment. But it does mean this. It's no longer remember the Alamo in all of our relationships. The fruit of forgiveness is rooted in our relationship with Christ and that's how God wants us to live. As people just immersed in his love, expressing joy, living in peace, knowing health, knowing healing, having ministry, and being able to forgive. And friends, I can just tell you in our church, this is happening on multiple fronts. Through tears and a tenderness of heart, people have been and are Forgiving. There was a young gal by the name of Shannon. When she was 16 years old, she was driving on a country road, and uh, she she didn't plan on this. But she tragically, she ran over a woman by the name of Marjorie Jarstfar. And Marjorie ended up dying as a result of these injuries while this 16-year-old girl was driving to school. Shannon was completely overwhelmed and just grief and guilt just completely overwhelmed her life. She was found 100% gu- guilty, completely at fault by all the authorities. There was no, it was very clear she was fully responsible. And she was despairing of life. In fact, had even contemplated on several occasions to take her own life. And she would have tried it except for one man. One man, a guy by the name of Gary, who just so happened to be Marjorie Jarstfar's husband. Gary forgave Shannon. In fact, he asked the attorney to drop all the charges against Shannon and saved her from a very probable guilty verdict. And then I want you to listen to what Gary told Shannon. This man who had just had his wife taken from him, he said, you can't let this ruin your life. God wants to strengthen you through this. In fact, I'm passing Marjorie's legacy on to you. you, uh, You might actually be familiar with Shannon. Let me give you her last name, Shannon Etheridge, that famous author. You'll find her books in every bookstore. She's written books like Every Girl's Battle and Every Woman's Battle. And she also wrote a book called Completely His, Loving Jesus Without Limits. And what that book does is helps, helps women overcome guilt-ridden, wounded lives. Why is she able to do that? Because she has known and has been shown what forgiveness really looks like. And that's what God wants to do in us and through us. Remember this, God can give the faith to forgive. Let's pray. And as your heads are bowed, I just want to give you a minute to talk with God about the pain and the forgiveness issues in your life. And maybe this has been a long time coming, and perhaps it's now that you need to forgive. So why don't you talk to the Lord?